podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ho, the millennial who finds interest in anything and everything with regards to architecture. And today, extending from my blog, Archimist in the Making, I have one of my collaborators with me, Eden Huang. Oh, hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm Eden. I met Kim back in a networking event. It was like a student, oh no, it was led by like our like landscape, architecture, architecture groups within uni. And um, I guess it was like about connecting the different discipline so I think between us there was architecture, landscape architecture and also urban planners and yeah. Yeah it was pretty good note because I was pretty surprised when I first entered that networking event Uh, I was actually recommended to go there after I came back from Hong Kong and then suddenly when I walked in I saw the list of categories so like you had the landscape and then urban and the architects and then when I saw the number of architects names hoping they'll see somebody I recognized there were only like 10 architects there or like architecture graduates there and then everybody else were from landscape or urban planning so it was a really daunting night for me and you were like the saving grace for me (laughs) when you walked out and spoke to me and yeah so you never know what like where you would meet different people as well so that was probably one of the best things I've done in terms of just getting to know you and such. So for those who haven't seen uh, or even read the article that Eden and I wrote which was about landscape and architecture the two of us were discussing about the disciplines in terms of the things we had to study on so mainly our article really expanded on perhaps just breaking down the differences between the two of our professions because I feel like often whereas given that when we have to design an architecture we always seem to have to think of everything so like the big picture as well the small picture but landscape was one of the areas I can say that wasn't my greatest strength where some people seem to be able to understand the concept of landscape which was why (laughs) I initially approached you and asked you if you could teach me about what your discipline is as well um it's a bit different in the way that for us landscape architects um we look at the site's context and also like how the site works for example it's like pretty colonial vegetation how the contours work and like all those like factors they influence how we design the space most of the time of course that that's also depending on um what the site is like whether it's outdoor or indoor yeah. yeah, I think the other thing is like the blending the outdoor and indoor area is just that because we always get this question that when we have to design something, it has to merge really well mm. into the context. But I don't know for your discipline like or your practice in particular, when you have clients that come to you generally, what what is the most common request that you get in terms of like your clients asking for brief and whatnot? I think they do tend to be quite general, like, I've had a lot it's like oh could you blend it um you know within the, to the natural landscape and we're like okay yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um I think the the most simplest way is to actually yeah as I said before um just look at the previous or like um the vegetation of the site I think that helps or even like for example if it's like on a coastal area you will tend to see like a lot of boardwalks so we kind of take that into consideration when we design boardwalk inspired walkway and we try to use like materials that are from the site ideally because I guess that helps connect it back to the site like using the right timbers or even even rocks like we try to like um, locate quarries that are locally sourced rather than ones that are a bit like international just just because like 
I guess that that way it connects to the site much more easily. Do you find it sometimes it's a struggle when they say like blend into the landscape, mm. right? Like choose sourcing materials and all. When they say that, is it hard if that landscape has already been manicured? So that is saying that, for example, people previous the previous tenants, for instance, may have already planted like different faunas and flor like faunas. Wait, floras? Yeah, floras from different areas that may not be site-specific. So what? how do you mediate between that situation then? I think in that case, like, I think it's it's also fine to be a bit, like, playful um, in your design because it can work with, I guess, I guess, like, in cooking, right, where you try to fuse different cultural, like, elements. So it, I guess in that case, like, you try to fuse different, both exotic and native plants, because they, they do work together surprisingly. Like some succulents, they you you can imagine like like agaves and stuff. The succulents, the colors, they go quite well with eucalyptus. Just if you imagine the pastel tones from the blues from the succulent, uh, succulents and then the greens um, from the eucalyptus, I think in that way they can marry quite well together. Yeah, I never really thought about like the in terms of like the color palette and the aesthetics and whatnot because generally for our perception of landscape architecture, at least for me, because when we were in third year, our studio's themes was mainly about looking at things at the broader context as well. And so for me personally, I had to I was tasked to design landfill, which is not the best type of project to do. But at the same time, it was, how do I put it? It was more like I had to think of the landfill and then think of 10, 20 years ahead, which I don't think I've ever been prepared to do. So like never think that far ahead and think what type of um, vegetation can grow from it. And so when we studied precedents such as fresh kills, for example, so that's probably, you can say, the only precedent I know that it is a successful revival of landfill after a certain period of time. And what is beyond me is that people knowing how to plan things ahead or like knowing the way vegetation grows, because I think for me, is I'm not much of a green thumb person unless you count indoor plants, but looking at how, like, looking at a plant and just be able to visualize or envision how it's going to look in the future that is something that's beyond me and I wanted to ask like is it something similar in your types of field like when you design your landscapes and whatnot or do you have a different process to it um like phasing and stuff yeah like just being able to associate what plants would grow because you mentioned about the cactus and the eucalyptus yeah I think that's quite fascinating as well yeah I guess um I think the one way like one of the main ways at least I do it um is I break the area down into like the soil conditions light conditions and how like moist the <laughs> the area will be so I guess that that will help you categorize the t- planting that will suit um, in that space and also there's also considerations in like trees whether um, its roots will disturb anything underneath from there you kind of like can create a, like a palette of plants so then and then you use that palette to help paint the landscape in a way. So, you know, there's colours that go well together, like um, oranges and go well with, like, nice pastel blues. Those oranges, like, provide, like, a pop um, within the landscape, which I think is quite nice. There's also the, um, factoring in flowering elements as well. So, like, some flowers flower at different 
time centers. So I've seen like um some people do like really nice like a timeline of the year and then they graph when the plants will flower. Um so you can kind of see like oh so this is where this these plants will flower and then um this is where these other plants will flower. And I think that's quite nice because then you can imagine like um it's not just one static like your garden oh the, the the design won't be just one static thing. It's just like it's always changing based on the the, the flowering patterns that you've I guess planted out, which is quite cool. <laughs> oh, I would love to learn something like that. I don't know. I just I think it's probably I don't have that patience. It it is a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I think yeah. Once um, I think even like just graphing it out, it's just so satisfying to see like all those lines like work together. So I think yeah, it's it's worth the patience for it. Because the thing is. You can envision it. I guess it's the matter of whether your client on the receiving end is going to be able to envision it because the amount of houses that I see and then when you first started out there like plant these tiny things and even on home renovation shows they don't they plant them as buds right and so I'm thinking like do you also take into the consideration of whether your clients are those type of people who's willing to nourish those plants so then it successfully realizes the vision that both of you have shared too yeah so um in our case where i work we do have a horticulture team so we do like if they want to provide the service otherwise i think it's also good to suggest like a maintenance regime so whether it's weekly fortnightly or monthly the plants need to be weeded pruned or watered another thing is with native plants because it's native I think after a few months of like careful watering, they establish quite well. So it's like it's a bit of like a more low maintenance garden rather than um something that you have to care for quite often, which is quite nice. I guess that's uh-huh. yeah, probably one of the main perks of <laughs> native gardens. Oh, that's really cool. Speaking of I think just to jump back back yeah. into like the reason why we start this whole collaboration system, I think it's the design things or like when you hear about um, the role of an architect generally it is for us we have that responsibility of being the team manager and being able to collaborate with different professions so you have the engineer you've got the land surveyor as well as you've got uh, your profession like the landscape architects as well as I know whether urban planners will come into play as well going back to the reason why we wrote together was because generally I often experience this notion where you have the requirement from clients to say blend your architecture or incorporate the architecture into the landscape. And I sometimes wonder whether when we are tasked to do that, how often do you get, or at least at which stage of the architecture will you then be brought in to create a solution for that? Or at least, do you generally, like, when you're a practice, do you generally think about landscape as an afterthought, or is that part of the process throughout designing architecture? So far, in my experience, because like uh, we didn't do the, the context, it's more just like um, designated landscape areas that architects have proposed for us. So I guess, like, most of the time, we come in, I guess, after the architects have their concept to the client which like I think um, for us it means like a lot of the times we tend to adapt to the architect's design so um, we try to follow similar like palettes like color palettes or 
texture palette they've already done or um, depending on um, the architect as well they they are open to ideas so in that case they like we kind of like collaborate and try to like work with like how the architecture and the proposed landscape marry mm. together okay is, is it different to like the work that you've done in uni then like in comparison oh yeah definitely because <laughs> um i think within uni i don't think that there were um like studios where we could work with other architecture students which would have been really cool but I didn't get a chance to so most of the studios that I did I would do more like public projects like some of the uni projects that I did wouldn't be working with architects but rather going straight into the public realm so example like a park or for one project I did a streetscape so what we did is like we took in consideration the the community context and also like the road types and the pre-existing soil types and that kind of influenced how we placed specific areas within our design does that make sense yeah yeah it makes sense i think was it the one where you used sunflowers to nullify the soil as well i really like that part um yeah i think sometimes what i what i really appreciate from your studies is the way to go in depth into detail about the reasoning behind it. Sometimes it's not purely because of context, but it's perhaps introducing an outside resource to improve the landscape better as well. I think one of the conversation we had in the past was about like cultural context and whatnot. And while sometimes it is important to to introduce plants that is local or true to the original site, but it doesn't hurt to perhaps introduce another type just to perhaps better the conditions so then perhaps then the native part would then be better. Yeah, I think there are some cases where, like, of course, um, not all native plants are going to fit within that condition. So in that case, it's it's okay, I guess to use that ones that are a bit more exotic or I guess would convey like this this cultural story a bit mm. more better which is like okay do you have any projects that you think successfully talks like creates a good narrative in terms of landscape like creating a successful narrative through landscape architecture as well or do you think there are any projects that have architecture and the landscape blend relatively well together. One of my favourite projects that I haven't recently built is Yagan Square. That's in Perth by Aspect Studios. One other thing that I quite liked that they did was that they contacted local artists to help design their project, which is quite nice because it's always good to have, you know, it's always quite important to have like someone who would be more knowledgeable and would know the culture to be able to like to help influence or give a bit more artistic direction into the design which is quite nice one thing that i i went to a presentation actually um a few years ago and one thing that really struck me was that they chose a particular type of stone and this stone um would be like kind of laid out as part of their water feature so this kind of goes throughout the whole site and then when water is applied to it the stone kind of changes colour, so, like, I thought that was quite nice. So, yeah, Aspect is quite a prominent name throughout in the architecture industry as well, or at least within Australia. I'm not too sure whether they've got many international projects 
And I think the other one that I was quite inspired by was the Canberra Royal Botanical Gardens by TCL oh. yeah, as well. Because at that point, uh, I was introduced to that project in my final year in architecture. Because initially, one of the projects that I wanted to do was about an artist's residency where what they would do is they would study the plants or the vegetation that formerly occupied the site that they are having they're residing at and then be able to use that information and create an artificial garden based on what they researched and from that I was recommended to go to that place and it was quite nice it was my only regret was that it was a relatively long drive just because of where I live as well oh. two hours is isn't probably the best drive I mean it was still nice two hours I think it was two hours can't remember but oh. I really liked that on the day I went I had really good weather and I was able to just calmly walk around each place and the way they've structured it the only downside was, I think, the central area, which was their highlight of the design, was still working in progress. Or I think they were changing the vegetation that was there as well, which was a shame because I really wanted to see what it was like. Which season did you go? Do you remember? Yeah, I went in November. So just when, like, before the heat took over pretty rapidly. And that was oh almost two years ago now two or three years ago now i can't remember <laughs> you should definitely go back especially like even just visiting that garden within the different seasons you can really see the way the landscape works and how there's this, those floral flowering yeah. changes yeah so yeah definitely go like visit within each season do you have a favorite season that you like about it because you sound like you've been to all the different seasons <laughs> i yes i i have gone there many times i think I'd, I'd have to say summer, just because, like, you go there and then you see that vast, like, red toppings, right? And you you really feel it <laughs> most, um, in summer. And also, like, the the water area as well, I think that's quite nice. You see it's, like, full of kids and it, it's quite, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I went when it was quite quiet, so I haven't been able mm. to see it when it's more populated. But, yeah, when you mentioned the river area, that was one of my favourites. I remember, I still see that image now that I'm thinking about it, but... I was just staying there and it was just so peaceful seeing like the stream mm-hmm. um, and it was quite fascinating to see how the central part you've got the landscape but then scattered around were these odd little pavilions yeah. of follies of these small landscapes full of parks and whatnot so it's a very different strategy or it's not a strategy I would really consider perhaps probably because I'm so used to designing things as a unified whole whereas in this case it feels like they purposely separated parts so that you've got different clusters as well it's it's almost like a disneyland but for <laughs> landscape yeah oh that's an interesting one to demonstrate yeah. it then would you say like speaking of disneyland of landscape mm. architecture what are your thoughts on the highline then um i think it's a good precedent to look at it's, it's also important to note that like there are some aspects of it that you know you, you can't just stamp and copy that into another design just because like highline project was made within like considered like they really considered you know how that works and so if if you try mm. to like just on a surface level use that precedent somewhere else it, it might not work as great so i think there are some elements that you can definitely like take inspiration from. 
Mm, but like the project itself, I I really I really want to、uh, visit it one day, just like to be able to see like oh how does it actually like work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I always find Highline a very fascinating case study, not just because it managed to revive that that part of New York itself, and from it was also the part where Amanda Bird and she was one of the people who were involved in Highline. Itself,、uh, Highline is by Dilska Fidio, by the way. But um, what Amanda Burden has spoken of was about how to activate space. I think landscape's role, generally, from what I've learned from that lecture, was that to activate a space, it requires a bit of green and furniture and perhaps a person. And I think it's very interesting, or at least I never thought about how, even though you can. Craft a landscape, I guess, right? But you need somebody to be there in order to draw another person there. So it's like you need、mm. certain like crowds of people in order to make a space work. And I don't know if sometimes like when you were designing your public spaces, like the larger segments for your university projects. I'm not sure about your current practice right now. What were you like your key principles or like? If you were told to create a landscape, was it mainly for aesthetic reasons, or was it mainly to bring people out in the landscape itself?、Mm. I think ideally, you 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 do we do want to draw people into like the landscape.、Mm-hmm. Also, like I think it's a bit more easier within public spaces or like more urbanized areas, because if you imagine like it's just mass building, so having that I guess pocket, it's it's quite easy to just escape from the. The hustle and the bustle.、Mm. But I guess have you done anything similar? Like, does I'm not even sure. Like, does does architecture have anything like where you would activate space?、Uh, design something. That, yeah, that activates like people to come or. Um. Personally, I think when we approach something, we're always talking about programming. So it's like, how do we build it in a way to designate program. For certain spaces, and I think talking to my friend the other day because she is currently working on her university project, and we were looking at how she was struggling between creating this, or at least giving purpose to this threshold between two buildings that already had specified programs, and it was hard because you don't want to look like you're plonking things for the sake. Of plunking something, which I sometimes feel like I'm doing that when I am told I have to landscape the whole site for my projects as well. But having said, I think one of the most successful projects I reckon in terms of of、uh, creating a smooth transition of a program to another is Tarafu's Gulliver's Table. It's not, it's architecture, but at the same time. It's a matter of whether you would count furniture as an architect. It's located on a hill, so、okay. the bottom of the hill it's like all low rising. Um, so the hill slopes one way, and then this huge pavilion slopes the other way. And so at the top of the hill is the lowest part of the shelter, but it's actually table and chairs. But then、oh. as you go up, because the hill slopes down, the table eventually transforms into this. Huge pavilion or shelter for people、oh. to just reside in, so I think it's a very interesting way to incorporate landscape or working with the landscape together to become、mm. a piece of furniture itself, and I、That's、think、true. that activates 
a space in its way. I'm not yeah. too sure. Sorry, having said because generally when we're approached with architecture, our intention is to be able to occupy or like invite people to occupy within anyway. So maybe to put it this way, perhaps landscape is more activating space based on I don't know bringing back nature because then it comes back to the question of whether is it because it's innate in us that part of us will always crave being around something that is from the ground or whatnot I don't know what's the best term to describe it I think that's quite right like I don't know <laughs> like I guess to touch on this like covid situation you would notice like a lot of people would just go you know if they can go for runs or like go and walk out into parks or like people start to are starting mm. to like reconnect with their gardens trying to like you know experiment mm. you know how to grow things which i think is so cool and it kind of shows like what we value as well yeah because i think like even now that you mentioned it you were talking about how there was like a surplus of bikes yeah like i, I think in uk as well like um councillors that are considering banned cars even where there was high traffic just because like i guess i don't know like um as more people started to use bikes because like public transport is probably not the best social distancing mode of transport and also there's like the benefit of like you know your health so i think like as people start to switch more like a lot of councillors are kind of reconsidering how they structure their roadworks yeah which is yeah quite interesting mm. and would you think that because that now parks are becoming more evident or like more prevalent the requirement of it do you see that somewhere down the line the way the landscape architects are going to be i don't know how like collaborating with the profession even would change in itself um it's it's quite possible there's a lot of ways to work within landscape architecture because it's quite broad i feel um like because you can work in indoor spaces like balconies and stuff but then there's also opportunity to do a bit more broader things so like like for example like helping to design the space that because or design a scheme even that helps to revegetate destroyed landscapes which like for the future like if anything were to happen um, there's always that possibility well given the situation that we're currently experiencing more multi-residential buildings It'd be interesting to see how landscape architecture would then be incorporated. Because from the bingo that we got during our networking night, right? I think one of the common stereotypes that your profession generally gets is, can I build a green wall or can I get a green roof? And I think, will that be the future of landscape to an extent then? Hopefully not. Like, there's only so much you can do with the technology we have at the moment. Like, you would imagine just, like, a green wall, like, built with pots or green roofs. There's also, like, limitations that we have at the moment for, like, trees. So we can't just, like, place, like, a million trees on a roof because there's, like, weight considerations. Whether we, like, work together somehow, even with the building, maybe. Like, I think if you've seen these super futuristic concepts, that's, it seems so far-fetched, but, like, they're called, like, green buildings it's just buildings that are like filled with every uh, every row of every story has just got like a million trees and it's like oh yeah it's like definitely something people want to see um but then there's also like the, the technology we have like is it possible yet um i guess i'm not too sure 
I mean, the idea of having so many plants is lovely, but I just can't imagine just having that many trees and just perhaps be able to cohabit with insects. Like, I don't mind insects, but I do mind that I have to kill them. That never makes me feel good, personally. So, I guess it's like finding the right balance, okay? Good point. <laughs> yeah, actually, one of the hardest realistic desires to realize is like, especially green walls nowadays. In one of the conversations I've had earlier on with my friend, it's also because of our climate. Because Melbourne is known to be constantly battling against winds. That's why, like, in terms of skyscrapers, it's always considering uh, what happens when there are really strong winds. I don't know if the vegetation that is generally placed there is able to withstand those conditions as well. I mean, like, sure, we think it's pretty, but it's, as you said, even if you've got the horticultural team giving us info on how to maintain those plants, it's not just whether the people who look after it will do a good job, but it's also whether the plant can already withstand the climate at the first place. So, I don't know. I mean, I would like to see it happening because I think Cox, Cox Architecture's recent competition entry, they're the ones who won this tower. It's really bizarre. I'm still trying to understand the engineering behind it, but it was like, oh. it looks like an S shape at the bottom and then goes up and then slightly like yeah. moves out. And there's so much green. I'm thinking like, is the other plants going to be part of the <laughs> engineering structures one day or not to hold it up? Oh, like the root systems it would be interesting if it was but i don't think it is the case i think the green currently acts as the facade i don't know too much about it it would be nice to see where architecture one day is perhaps utilizing nature to its advantage i think the only precedent i can really say is terunobu fujimori's treehouse tea house it's really cute he's really true to using really raw materials so like using clay and then be able to take advantage of the tree um like a tree even just to be able to hold this tea house it's so tiny that you can fit one person in oh yeah, it's really cool. I think you'll definitely like it. <laughs> oh, I'll have to check it out later. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Do you have any other architecture that, or like any other landscape projects that you really like that perhaps does that? Oh, uh, like just places that I'd like to visit. Mm, that. There is one place I'd like to check. It's it's a playground for kids, but like I think it's quite cute. I think it's called the Ian Potter Children's Playground or something like that by aspect as well i do quite like a lot of the projects there's like a lot of like creative ways that kids can play in that area it's quite nice this is more like a landscape architecture thing but it's it's just like the future of child playgrounds in a way i find that like playgrounds nowadays it's very kid apart so like every playground has to have the slide and then you've got like the seesaw and then the monkey bars and it would be nice to see how playgrounds are incorporate it into the landscape itself which would be I don't think it's much talked about yet probably because of the interest that I have right now doesn't demonstrate um or haven't been exposed to those projects but I do know like in Hong Kong back then um one of the projects that I encountered was looking at the future of playgrounds as well or like looking at the future of small public spaces which I think is quite beautiful. Perhaps it is about how do we build back the appreciation of landscape through just the early stages of it because now that 
a lot of us are growing increasingly towards the urban area that it's kind of sad that we forget the landscape is quite important especially when to quote Glenn Merkitt or Sean Godsell from their conversation can't remember but architecture does interrupt nature so yeah it is quite nice it's the landscape is not just quickly put together as like an afterthought but rather if you were to be able to like you know work through it as you work through the architecture yeah it it, it definitely wins so mm. and I think another issue that unfortunately I feel has been covered because of the whole COVID situation is at the start of this year as well as towards the end of last year Australia's bushfire it did devastate the landscape a lot it's not just people's homes but it's just knowing that there's a lot that can never be recovered to an extent I don't know what's to what the best ways to wet it but like I wonder how would landscape architecture then come into restoration process of it I don't know too much about it myself but like I guess from an outside point of view it's how would the current situation reflect what qualities from the past would you be able to use or like are present within the current landscape and and I guess it's like researching as much as you can on what works in other places and using that knowledge I guess to at least even just like try because like it, it it never hurts to try so like um and of course like to revitalize vast landscape it's it's definitely something that takes time side note i guess like um there are organizations that are, i know um koala clancy they help to revitalize eucalyptus trees and like they plant from seeds and like they get people to grow them eventually so like these host families like they grow these eucalyptus babies um, which is really cute and I think over six months that so like from seedling to like to be able to like plant that seedling um, into back to the landscape so these guys they plant them in the yuyang so I think in June July that's when the planting season they start to plant these seedlings back into the landscape and then um in about like five, 15 years, that's when these seedlings can become eucalyptus trees for the koalas to eat. That's so cute. Yeah. I'm guessing you went to participate in that. I did, yeah. Go to the seed planting event and then they were like, oh, if you want to take some plants home, feel free. So I took some home and now I have some eucalyptus babies going <laughs> in my house. Oh, that's yeah. exciting. Yep. Yeah, it is. It's quite exciting. Oh, well, hopefully you were able to show us some of the photos. Maybe we'll wrap it up here for today. But before we go, do you have any comments or closing comments you'd like to add in terms of just our conversation or or what do you look forward to to next? (laughs) I think, yeah, I think thank you, Kim, for hosting this. It's definitely, like, in the future. I know there's already some, some... like people that already do it but like definitely it'll be good to like work together but uh, and I really thank you for always making time just to be able to share your passions and such because I love it when I see people's faces when they talk about things that they're really interested in and it's really nice just to see you light up whenever you talk about things that you love especially like your practice and then your studies as well so I really appreciate that <laughs> oh. <laughs> thank you again that's okay well do you have any handles or websites you'd like to share with us I guess you can I do have an Instagram handle 
www.edz. That's just like my art account, but I'm trying to like incorporate some landscape into it very slowly. Um, it's 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 inactive, but yeah, you can catch me there. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I'll link those handles in the notes as well, and then yeah, share with me as well the organization about plugging the eucalyptus because I'm sure a lot of people are really into that. But um, anyhow, thank you for joining us for another episode and. Yeah, if as always, please subscribe already and please share the Archivist podcast with other people because I'd love to know what other relationships architecture has in terms of everyday affairs. Um, but yes, in that sense, we'll see you for another episode. In the meantime, take care and bye.